From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, we're shifting gears now, uh, continuing the conversation on the U.S. midterm elections. And uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And I think we'll learn a lot by talking to somebody who's on the inside of this process, who's actually running for office uh, in the 2022 midterms. On the line right now is independent candidate for U.S. Senate in the state of New York running against the Senate leader, Chuck Schumer, there. Her name is Diane Sayre, and she's joining us on the live link right now. Hello, Diane. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me. No, that's our pleasure, Diane. I know I spoke to you a while back on our other program at 21st Century Wire when you just were launching your campaign, and it's been many months now. And so, uh, firstly, I'm going to ask you, how uh, how has this uh, this experience, this the, the U.S. democratic system, you've dipped your foot into this massive river. <laughs> what has it been like so far? Tell us. <laughs> well, I would call it a massive um, mud-filled swamp. <laughs> right. That sounds about <laughs> Hardly right. Hardly a, a river. Uh, you know, when I spoke with you last, we had not I had only gotten the news that as an independent candidate not affiliated with either major party that I would have to get triple the signature requirements of the other candidates. And I had worked on the campaigns of Lyndon LaRouche when he ran for president as a Democrat in the primaries. I knew getting 15,000 signatures statewide in six weeks was already extremely challenging. So when people with my campaign found out that they had changed it to (laughs) 45,000. They said, you should give up. They said, there's no way this is impossible. And in fact, of course, no one had ever done it before. It was a new requirement. But I thought it through, thought through how many volunteers I would need and the danger of of nuclear war uh, that we're, we're facing which, you know, the military action in Ukraine hadn't begun, but you were hearing the U.S. saying Russia's going to invade Ukraine, et cetera, and decided we would do that. Uh, And I have to say that my team did a really excellent job. And I don't think it should remain at this level just because I succeeded. People who failed to get on the ballot, like the Libertarian and the Green Party, have filed suits saying that this is impossible, unconstitutional, I heartily agree. Um, We had 200 volunteers and I really wanted four or 500 because there was no margin for error. We needed 2000 signatures a day and you couldn't come up short, whether you had a blizzard as we had in early April, I was in Buffalo (laughs) for the first days of petitioning um, or crazy temperatures, or you got thrown off your grocery store by the security guard or whatever. And I told people that you cannot, no one can get this by being paid and clocking in and clocking out because what we're doing is impossible. And people really rose to the occasion, putting in 12 and 14 hour days, seven days a week. Uh, You know, so that was the first hurdle which we made. Uh, We turned in 66,000 signatures demonstrating broad statewide support for my campaign. There were other crazy things happening. For example, the 
New York lost the congressional district due to the census. So the petition requirements are 500 valid signatures in at least 13 of the state's 26 congressional districts. But we did not know what the congressional districts were until the last nine days of the petitioning campaign. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, every imaginable hurdle, every imaginable impossible thing. It was really like the 60s, what I heard from my dear late friend, Amelia Boynton Robinson of the of the voting rights movement and civil rights movement when she said, if an African-American tried to register to vote, they would say, how many jelly beans in this jar? How many bubbles in a bar of soap? <laughs> you know, that's sort of the New York process right now. We call it Mississippi on the Hudson. Yeah. So this, this, imagine, you know, this is how difficult it is for you to stage an independent campaign in a state, well, a major state. But if you're running for president or something like this for national office, this has been a big knock uh, that there's no space, there's no room for any third party or independent candidates that can't even get on the ballot in some states. Very difficult, almost impossible, if not impossible. Um, so does that leave out any hope for uh, any sort of plurality in terms of agendas if, if let's say, you're not signed up to what the Democrat and Republican parties are offering? Uh, well, no, I don't think it leaves out hope. And I, I want to say one other thing about the process, and then I'll answer that, which, um, as you're aware of, there's a debate uh, sponsored by Spectrum News, which is the second largest cable provider in the country, and it just shows how the censorship works. I have been excluded from the debate in spite of my 66,000 New York voters' signatures. Uh, and they said that the reason is that they have a criterion, which is you have to be polling at least 15% in four polls, Emerson, Siena, Quinnipiac, and whatever. Uh, so we got a hold of the polls, which I already had been tipped off because some of my petitioners got called by pollsters. And when they said they were voting for Diane Sayre, they were told that this was not a choice. Sure enough, not one of the four polls used by cable, Spectrum Cable, to determine who gets on the debate, allows anyone to select Diane Sayre. Amazing. So, <laughs> so how would you get it? But why am I not find this hopeless? Because partly, look, the, the January 6th has been used in many different ways, one of which is to shut down the access of the American people to the Congress. Uh, they did that during the pandemic, and then January 6th allowed them to continue it, which is to say that it used to be the case that you'd go to Washington and you could go into any House or Senate office building and you'd see delegations of farmers and labor unions and teachers and nurses, and you'd see the Saudi sheiks coming through. And But it was open. People could go in to their representatives, deliver literature, speak with an aide, set up an appointment. Now uh, you are not allowed to enter any of those buildings unless you have a pre-scheduled appointment with the office. And the result has been that the Congress actually has no clue because most of them are very wealthy and they live in their little bubbles. They have no clue how overwhelmingly opposed to this war the American people are. 
and the American people don't think it was Putin who caused the hyperinflation, and they really don't know why we're spending, you know, $80 billion arming and supporting a totalitarian regime in Ukraine when our bridges are collapsing, the price of gas is still through the roof, uh, people can't afford to buy meat anymore in the grocery stores, this is what people are telling me. Um, the Congress really has no idea of this. Uh, I mean, some of them are evil and they're on the, you know, they're getting paid and so on. But some of them, um, I think, actually were not aware. And so when two of my associates uh, confronted Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on her support for the funding of nuclear war, that video went all over the place. I mean, tens of millions of views. It was talked about on Tucker Carlson and the Hill and the this and the that. It was everywhere because they touched a nerve. And then, as you saw, 30 members of the Progressive Caucus released this letter, which they very quickly retracted. But I think it, you know, calling for negotiations, saying that aid to Ukraine had to be, quote unquote, paired with diplomacy. I mean, it was the most mild letter in the universe, and clearly Chuck Schumer and other people went bonkers about it, and they retracted it and made up silly stories about how it was written six months ago by a staffer, I mean, none of which made any sense. But I think that indicates there is a fight, and it indicates that the American people can make themselves heard, and we have to really pour it on and do a much uh, bigger and better job of mobilizing. No, absolutely. I'm with you on that. Uh, we just got a minute before uh, a break here quickly with the network. But do you think, Diane, that uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, being doorstepped at her own town hall meeting had anything to do with that letter coming out just 48 hours after quickly? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Not merely the intervention, but the way that it carried, because it indicates something that I don't think they were fully aware of. No, I, I suspected that just uh, there's no there are no coincidences in politics, as they say. And when I saw that happen and it did go viral, made a massive impact. And then I see this panic letter. It looked like uh, a type of an effort to kind of uh, save uh, a, a, a floundering a position of some of these progressives that, uh, you know, market themselves as anti-war. So it shows that they have to respond to the constituents. And those are real traditional left-wing issues, things like anti-war, nuclear disarmament, and all this stuff has just been thrown out the window and dismissed out of hand as irrelevant. And it's because, as you say, Diane, um, the Democrat, the real democratic process isn't happening. The engagement's not there. They're trying to wall themselves off from the public. And when they do face the public, they can see what the real issues actually are. And they're the same issues they've always been. Let's take a quick break here. I'm with Diane Sayre, Senate candidate, U.S. Senate candidate in the state of New York. She's joining us on the line. We'll, we'll talk about this and more on the other side with TNT. Today's news talk. We'll be right back. Joseph Arthur on TNT Radio. Well, Rolling Stone and NPR and any other publication that told parents not to consider rainbow-colored fentanyl an attack on children and the bizarre mantelpiece they picked up in semi-defense of the cartel's reasoning behind this needs to come out with a public apology and a reframe of this story, and they need to do it now. 
And they wrote that weeks before Halloween, when obviously there should be nothing but concern for the vulnerability of children regarding this issue. Anyone with kids knows that half of the battle uh, of having an infant is policing what they put in their mouth. And any small child around a colorful pill is like a lamb being led to slaughter if that colorful pill is fentanyl. Rolling Stone points out that kids don't have disposable income. Thanks, Rolling Stone. So, of course, these drugs couldn't be marketed to them. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. The midterms are in full swing, ladies and gentlemen, and there's, you know, one of the big strongholds uh, for the this this agenda that's being rolled out uh, in Europe and looking at a potential standoff here uh, between the West and Russia. We're talking about the the, the doomsday clocks closer than it's ever been to midnight uh, in terms of thermonuclear war, at least not for a long, long time, 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis. We talked about that in the previous segment. And uh, we have Diane Sayre on the line. She is running for U.S. Senate in New York against Chuck Schumer, uh, the Senate majority leader. And she's telling us about the the, the problems with uh, democracy uh, in America in 2022. Diane, I thought we'd have some of these issues ironed out after a few centuries. But unfortunately, <laughs> that's not the case at all. And um, I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, in terms of your experience here, uh, I wanted to also get your comment. You told us about this problem with the debate. They're using this polling thing. I noticed this with the last presidential campaign. And they, they tried to exclude people from the presidential debate, uh, and they made it the criteria is like you're not polling high enough with these polls. And then they use this against Tulsi Gabbard and other candidates, too, who deserve to be on that stage. And when they showed them, yes, we are polling the, some of the, the debates uh, that were sponsored by various television networks, said, no, 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 we, we're looking at these polls, not those polls. Okay. And people say, no, it's there's the real clear politics average of polls. We're there. We meet your threshold. We're not given a, a seat on the debate stage. This is just uh, talk about election interference and rigging. Uh, it's just done out in the open now. Um, and, and the billboard situation, I know you had problems getting advertising on billboards. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was this about? Well, actually, it's very funny. And it did. I have billboards and they've been extremely effective, apparently. But, uh, you know, I it's expensive. It costs more than rent, you know, to rent a billboard for a month in Manhattan where you get 600,000 views and or whatever, however they measure it. So um, I had paid uh, the campaign had paid for space on two billboards and then I had to write up the text. And, you know, it does say paid for by Sarah for Senate. So the company doesn't have to take responsibility. And I said, I would like my billboard to say, stop blaming Putin and look in the mirror and have a picture of Chuck Schumer looking in the mirror. <laughs> so that went to the board of a directors of the billboard company. And they said, we're sorry, you're not allowed to say the name Putin. <laughs> and then they said, and furthermore, you're not allowed to say Russia, China, Iran, or North Korea. <laughs> so I'm thinking, gee, uh, I mean, you on an impulse, you wanted to say, well, give me my money back, you jerks. But then you don't have the ad. So then I was thinking, well, what can I say that will be as provocative as possible 
uh, without saying any of these things. So what I came up with was U.S. out of NATO, dump Schumer, vote Diane Sayre. And that has gone up on two billboards on the Gowanus Expressway in Brooklyn, Northern Boulevard in Queens. And I have another uh, billboard in Manhattan, which says, why is Schumer afraid to debate Diane Sayre, vote him out November 8th? Yes, yes, and uh, that they are effective, and that's that's good sort of uh, 1.0 uh, analog marketing for politics. They're very effective. So, is it a Clear Channel or CBS? There's only a couple of con- uh, companies that have a lock on billboard advertising nationwide. That like they literally own everything. You have to go through one or two companies. Is that still the case? Seems to be. I mean, there's places in upstate New York and around where there are phone numbers of little local people. Um, I've tried actually calling a couple of them and they never called back. So I, <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. I had to go through a major company. Just a little tip as well for in, in Times Square, they have the big video walls. You can actually buy uh, you know, 10 or five or 15 second impressions on those. And it's actually pretty affordable. Uh, but if you want to have it rolling in sort of heavy rotation, obviously the big banks can afford that and some of the big campaigns. But so there are, there are sort of interesting sort of guerrilla tactics that you can use <laughs> with, the, with the tech. But uh, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, I can't believe that you got basically canceled or they, they they could censor your messaging. Yeah, that I was really surprised too because they're not taking responsibility for it. It's all in my name, and even that uh, they censor. Just and it's just quickly, I know you you want to share. Uh, you you've got a clip to share with us in a second. No, we'll talk about that and have you set that up. Mm-hmm. But just you mentioned January sixth before, and yeah. a lot of people think more more and more people are beginning to think, Diane, that. January 6th is being used by the establishment, especially the Democratic establishment, but not only them, but especially them as the kind of as a Reichstag fire, you know, to basically curtail, shut down uh, real democracy and dissent, dissenting opinion, um, whole political parties or movements within political parties. Uh, What do you what do you think about that? That comparison? Uh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I would say anyone who trusts Liz Cheney is out of their mind. I mean, it would be one thing if she said, I'm breaking from my father. I think he was wrong about torture. It's true. His, he actually doesn't have a heart or what, you know, somehow distance herself from the warmongering policies of Darth Vader Cheney. But she's done nothing of the sort. The two of them are peas in a pod. And if you're going to have Liz Cheney be the great defender of democracy, then you're really in trouble. I mean, that, that first of all, should be a dead giveaway to the fraud of this thing. Um, but, yeah, remember what was going on. And I was... Uh, at the ellipse on January 6th. I did not go to the Capitol because I suspected, having seen what was happening at all of the Trump rallies, that things would go a little screwy at the end. So I was not there um, for that. But we were there saying, um, you know, we wanted to get an investigation of what happened in the election and we wanted Trump to pardon Julian Assange. And um, so I saw the crowd. I also saw people in peculiar looking kinds of combat gear and bulletproof 
best walking around, um, which were not really part of the protest, look like police or whatever. Uh, so what was the question? People had evidence of massive irregularities, of massive fraud. They thought that the election should not be certified. Very, very few courts. In a, in a few cases, the courts did hear the evidence on the merits, and I think those voted. The last figure I saw was about 70% of those courts ruled in favor of what people brought in, but the vast majority never even were willing to look at the evidence. Now, in 2016, Hillary Clinton and the universe said the election was hacked. It was a fraud. Donald Trump wasn't president. The Russians did it. That wasn't considered problematic. But after 2020, if you even said the word election fraud, you would be immediately removed from Facebook, Twitter, everything, YouTube, nothing. No one's even allowed to question. And, you know, the result of that kind of censorship is um, that if you can't say it, you begin to no longer think it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is real thought control. So, first of all, that no one is allowed. If you say, look, I really think we should have paper ballots. I think the nation would be much better served if everybody felt that the result, whether they like the result or not, but that they trusted that it was verifiable, it was the actual mood of the American people, it wouldn't be nearly as divisive. We used to have the ability to agree to disagree or to say, look, I, maybe I didn't do a good enough job convincing you this time. Let me refine my argument. Uh, maybe the other person is right. Let's talk this thing through. If you have a transparent election process, you could, it can actually enhance the dialogue among people with disagreements. But if you're not, but if you know that there's massive irregularities and peculiar numbers of, um, I was looking at the report for the state of New York, they have a 740,000 vote discrepancy between the totals counted by the county and what the state certified. That's about 9% of the vote total. So, you know, you say, well, how, and, and that means that 11 of the congressional races last year, which were closer than a 9% margin, should not have been certified. So there were races that were certifiable and they were fine. But um, no, I think it's, it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing. And that's probably why people are less enthusiastic about going out with their pitchforks and yelling at their congressman. Yeah, the, the, immediately you're you're faced with this. I always hear this objection. There was no evidence that was proven to be false. There was no there was no merit in any of the the, the accusations. Are that's not true. There was a lot of evidence, but it wasn't even seen by judges. It was just immediately thrown out, dismissed out of hand. And uh, one could say there's a partisan uh, motivation there. I'm sure. Let's not be uh, naive, uh, but it's a high stakes game, isn't it, uh, Diane? If you look at what's happening in the world right now, and I I'm in no doubt that this is why you're running for office, uh, because you know you recognize that it is a high stakes game. And that said, uh, elections are very important. There can't be any doubt, or there shouldn't be in a country like the United States of America. There shouldn't be any doubt as to election results and not doubt raised in so many different places, right? Right. Pregnant chads aside, <laughs> what, what about 2020? I mean, this isn't just 
an isolated incident here or there. There were reports and systemic things were put into place before the elections that had never been there before. It's kind right. of but uh, your thoughts that's on that. true but this is not new i mean i can tell you in new york i know my colleagues uh long before i was politically active in 1976 uh demonstrated that tens of thousands of dead people had voted in the election in new york that elected jimmy carter they went to court the court ruled yes indeed it looks like a whole lot of dead people voted but you can't prove it's a secret ballot you can't prove that those dead people voted for Carter. So this is not sufficient to overturn the election. And see, that's the problem with the secret ballot. You, the best you could do is to say this should not be certified. It has to be redone. And that would be fine. So clearly the state of New York has had um, a peculiar padding of the polls with all kinds of people who don't exist for for many, many years. It's not new um, but it, it reached the fact that you now no longer can even question this is, is really problematic. And we don't need, we don't need more fuel to make people pessimistic and withdrawn from the political process. I think that's a horrible thing when an American citizen is, we are a republic, we're supposed to be, if people are told your voice is not wanted you have no place in society. Your existence means nothing. Well, perhaps that's why we have so much violence and so many drug overdose deaths. Yeah, that doesn't leave a lot left uh, in terms of options uh, for somebody. And, and just quickly, would you, you know, Tulsi Gabbard put a uh, former Democratic congressman from Hawaii. She's out now. She's not only out of Congress, she left the party as well, left the Democratic Party recently. She, she put forward a bill in 2018 securing America's elections, I think it was H.R. 5147 in the 115th Congress, securing America's Elections Act. And she's calling for a return to uh, paper ballots or m more robust election processes uh, here. And, and a bunch of other things are attached to this as well. Um, what do you think about that? And why didn't that get more support? <laughs> well, I think we know why, because maybe some of her colleagues wouldn't be in office anymore. Um, but uh, I think it's it's a great idea. And I do think in the wake of 2020, some places are tightening up. And look, there can be an overwhelming vote. I'm happy to say that uh, even though certain liberal pro-war Democrats are in love with Liz Cheney, she's she's out. <laughs> she got defeated in her primary. So, um, you know, it does work. It just requires the people to be a little more bold and aggressive and organized than we, we may have been in the past. It's not enough merely to vote. You got to do more. So, so onto the issue of foreign policy and Ukraine. And, and by the way, you know, Diane, this is a really important issue. And I'm always surprised. Well, I'm not surprised, but I'm always kind of horrified, let's say, at people running for Senate, especially U.S. Senate, United States Senate. What a key, pivotal office that is, how much power you have in Senate to determine uh, the events that are happening around the world geopolitically, you know, really the power over war uh, and foreign policy and things like this. And so many people have very little grasp of what's really going on in the world. And Republicans are particularly bad at this 
as are Democrats now. But it used to be the Democrats were somewhat au fait internationally, not not maybe more idealistic and ideologically driven at home. But Republicans are still great at home. Uh, conservatives are very good, strong on domestic issues, but very clueless on geography and things happening around the world. I find this to be the case so often. And there's a few people like Rand Paul and others that might sort of buck that trend. Um, but it's a very important issue. And I know that that's one of your strong suits is uh, uh, for foreign policy and geopolitics, uh, understanding history. And so you've, you've supplied a clip to us here. Just uh, describe to us about this exchange, where it is, what you're talking about, and, and the thrust of it. Okay. Well, it's Staten Island. Uh, it's Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who's one of the, the other New York senator with Chuck Schumer. Schumer has no town hall, hall meetings. He just wants to run around getting his picture taken, but not talk to people and not answer questions for sure. So she is speaking at a uh, school in Staten Island, and it's supposed to be a you know, feedback with the constituents. So after a short introduction, they have a lottery, they call numbers, and people can ask questions. Now, two months ago, two of my volunteers had already confronted her on the Ukrainian kill list, uh, which my name is on, uh, because Scott Ritter had written a public letter to her and Schumer and to his congressman, Tonko, saying, I demand an investigation is money that you're allocating to the Ukrainian government going to fund an organization which is attempting to curtail First Amendment rights of Americans and also putting their lives in danger. And he got no response ever. So at that meeting two months ago, she said, okay, I'll look into it. One of her staffers, they went to Washington. They had a meeting with one of her staffers uh, about a month ago. Uh, there's still been no satisfactory answer. Now, uh, in the lottery, one of my young volunteers was first to be called on, and so he just said that he was very angry that she seems to not be concerned about the threat of nuclear war, about the kill list. And then she went on to say, and you don't hear that here, so I'll just say the first, she said, you'll hear a little bit of it, but what she actually said is that the kill list is not Ukrainian, it comes from the Russians. It's like Russian propaganda or something. So. Uh, that's the introduction. I was not called on. Uh, you will hear from her comments why I felt I had to get up and say something. Okay, so let's uh, let's play this clip here. The list that you're worried about and the list that you are concerned that are being targeted by Ukrainians is not what you think it is. And so I just assure you, Americans are not being targeted by Ukrainians if they were. Our FBI, our CIA, and our DOD would protect American citizens. They will not allow American citizens to be targeted by a foreign country. No matter Sorry, Senator. I, I am Diane Sayre. I am on that hit list. And Scott Ritter is on that hit list. People on it have been attacked and killed. I got a package today in the mail that sh had rattling noises in it that said something about Ukraine. And I had to call the police because I didn't know what was in it. They are killing people. Amnesty International admitted that it's the Ukrainian army using human civilians as human shields. 
And you and 99 other senators voted unanimously to declare Russia a state sponsor of terrorism, which means that all diplomatic channels with another nuclear power are cut. I think that is highly irresponsible. I will hear what you have to say. I hope you are not of the opinion from that idiotic public service announcement put out by the city of New York that we can survive a nuclear war by closing our windows and listening to the radio. And I do want a better answer because the State Department is funding it. I've been on the website for the Center for Countering Disinformation, which has my name on the list and says I am an information terrorist who should be charged with war crimes. And that does put me in danger. Okay, so I'm aware of the list. I understand your concern. If you believe you are threatened, either one of you, by Russians or Ukrainians, we will get you. Uh, we, we will get you the number to report that to the FBI, and we will follow up on your reports. You should not feel to be at risk or to be targeted, and we will. I will help you get more um, security. Okay, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> uh, so, has she reached out to help you since that promise, Diane? Well, she her staffers came running up to me and gave me their cards. I haven't called them because I, um, I mean, I, I probably should, but I really don't want the FBI running around with me and I don't trust them to give me security. And that's who she said was going to be protecting me. And I find that most unnerving. I don't know what's worse, the FBI or the Banderists, to tell you the truth. <laughs> So um, I trust yeah, we'll I, I trust the Secret Service, maybe. But uh, at the moment, right. the FBI's brand is a little bit damaged. But to, so by putting you on a list, uh, counter disinformation lists. And, you know, I've been put on some of these lists for over the years that everyone's into lists these days, I, I noticed. And so right. you're, you're, you've been put on these these lists in the U.S. Is that is that not a dog whistle? to the extremists in Ukraine and the sort of Nazi elements. Clearly, those are the extremists that are uh, putting together this so-called kill list with U.S. journalists on it and Western politicians. But if they're looking over to the U.S. and they're seeing your name, you're, you're being uh, singled out and ostracized by the U.S. or European establishment because of your political views or opinions. And they see that as a as a green light. Is it not a dog whistle to them? Well, that's exactly what Scott Ritter said. He said, uh, you know, okay, so maybe no official. You have loose cannons. You have people say, oh, let me get the uh, list of who's supporting Russia, who's a Putin apologist, propagandist. Oh, yeah, here, I can bump that person off or whatever, blow up their car or something or other. And I'll tell you, um, not far from my office in New York, about an hour's drive from here, is a little town called Ellenville, which is a has a camp for Ukrainian youth. In the middle of their camp is a tall pole with statues on top, including that of Stepan Bandera. So you can imagine what kind of exercises are going on there. If you've seen videos of how they train the Ukrainian youth to become Nazis and hate Russians and Jews and uh, minorities, etc., that's that's an hour away from here. So if some guy with a you know loose screw loose or whatever sees the list, sees my name, runs into me, 
I, that's a risk. That is a risk. Well, uh, we'll talk about that. That's unacceptable to, to put it lightly, but we'll, we'll talk more about this. I'm with Diane Sarah, U.S. Senate candidate, state of New York, running as an independent against uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. But uh, we'll, look, we'll pick this thread up on the other side. I'm Patrick Kenningson. You're listening to TNT Today's News Talk. We'll be right back. The Ukraine invasion is a climate blessing? Oh, no. This is what the United Nations claims. From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. Vladimir Putin, a climate hero. So says the U.N. weather chief. Quote, from climate perspective, the war in Ukraine may be seen as a blessing, unquote. Those were the words of the Secretary General of the UN's World Meteorological Organization, Petari Talas. Why is the war in Ukraine a blessing? Because it's accelerating the investment in green energies, so says the UN. Yes, that's right. A war is a blessing for the climate. So war, calamity, economic distress, exactly what the net zero climate activists coming from the United Nations and the World Economic Forum are seeking. So with Vladimir Putin, the new UN hero and political hero. Will Vladimir Putin get a Nobel Peace Prize like Al Gore did in 2007 in service to the climate? Would not surprise me. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So the mid circus is in full swing in the United States, and we're, we're doing a little bit of a uh, a little bit of surgery here and finding out what's the problems with U.S. democracy. And, of course, one of the biggest issues right now facing the country, uh, facing uh, the U.S. Senate and Congress, is this issue of Ukraine. Uh, on the line right now is uh, U.S. Senate candidate in the state of New York, uh, Diane Sayre, running as an independent, running against the current setting, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. And, Diane, uh, this issue of Ukraine – it seems like a kind of open-ended blank check. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of effort right now ahead of the midterms. I don't know if you've noticed this to paint Ukraine as winning the war and right. they're on the verge of winning. And how much of this is midterm spin? Because it seems like this is a really key issue that the Democrats like to uh, portray as a success uh, rather than what it truly is, in my opinion, and others. But what are your thoughts on on that sort of midterm lens? Well, I would say it's definitely midterm spin, but other spin to just make sure that people keep funding it. And I think there's a fear that uh, if in the likely event the Congress is no longer majority Democrat, there are enough Republicans that the funding would stop. So one of the things that I've heard is that there is a plan to get a $50 billion package through the lame duck session of Congress between the elections and January. So it, I think it's not merely about the election, but also to make sure they can ensure this next $50 billion tranche to the um, billionaires who profit off of the deaths of uh, millions of people. So, so you're you're saying that uh, the the money that's there's a lot made about the the totals, big big totals, you know, now probably up in the sort of sixty billion range, supposedly at the moment, U.S. aid or funding to Ukraine, 
And you're saying that the money doesn't go to directly to Ukraine. In fact, it doesn't. A lot of it doesn't actually land in Ukraine at all. Um, and a lot of American voters might think that it does. And let's say they're flying that flag on their Facebook profile, the Ukrainian flag, and they they're all in for Zelensky. And where where does the money actually go? That's a great question. Uh, does anybody know? I'm not sure anybody even knows. Remember, Rand Paul got shouted down and you know declared, I don't know what, a war criminal. Uh, well, actually, he was on the list because he said we should have a, a an, an auditor. We should have an inspector general. We want to know where this money is going, where the weapons are going. It's a lot. I mean, there's major infrastructure projects we ought to be building in the U.S. that cost a lot less than what we gave to Ukraine. So I think it's a legitimate question where this money is going. Yeah, we could also rebuild the Nord Stream pipelines um, <laughs> as well and you know, right. get, get Germany out of a pinch uh, this winter. That would be uh, wonderful, but that's not going right. to happen. Uh, no, there's one other thing I do want to say about this and the, the nature of the battle. I heard Scott Ritter saying something on one of his programs about, you know, the Ukrainian and Russian populations, which really are the same. I mean, the families, people are born in Ukraine, born in Russia, whatever. Crimea was Russia when many people were born, and then later it is became Ukraine, and now it's Russia again. Um, so it's completely this is not like the U.S. invading Iraq, where it's far away and you don't know anyone and you just level the thing. So if you want to understand why the special military operation proceeded so gingerly, if you will, not only did they not want to destroy Ukraine or level it, but it's family. So it's a horrible, gut-wrenching thing to... Um, to be, you know, doing this kind of war. Well, last night I happened to be at a book signing of Scott Ritter's and uh, there was a gentleman there who fought in the Soviet army, defected, became American. He said, look, my daughter is in the Russian army. My son-in-law is in the Ukrainian armed forces. I wake up, he was virtually in tears. He said, I wake up every morning in dread, wondering what is going to be the news of the day. And I think Americans just have no clue of this dynamic. And so they say, well, Putin miscalculated, blah, blah. Well, yeah, because they may have thought, unfortunately, I think the CIA and the British intelligence were probably really backing up this Nazi faction. It's the only way you could get this kind of war. So they had to really strengthen the Nazis. They really had to strengthen that to to get this kind of fighting and atrocity. And uh, hearing that, you just get a sense of how gut wrenching the whole thing is. Well, Americans can uh, relate to it if they just turn the few pages back in their history book and look at the Union Army versus the Confederate Army and the secessionist movement and so forth. There's a lot to uh, there's a lot to compare with the uh, situation in Ukraine in terms of this kind of internecine conflict. And uh, for the British, uh, what about home rule, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Ulster volunteers? Does any of that ring a bell in 2022 <laughs> that they can't cast their, or the Mexican-American War and Texas, the Alamo? I mean, we've had all these similar situations um, in, in history, whether you're in Britain or the U.S., 
but people don't want to reference this at the moment. We're, we're meant to think, Diane, that history just began on, on February 26th, 2022, and nothing happened before that. And if you bring up any of those points, uh, somehow you're a bad person or you're a Putinist or, or whatever, it's, a, it's absolutely ridiculous. And so this is the level of thinking right now in the U.S., in the political sphere, in the media, and there's not there's not much divergence between Republicans and Democrats on the fundamental characterization of this conflict in in, in Ukraine. So we got a couple of minutes left. If if you had your time on the debate stage, and I'm the moderator, and you've got Schumer and the Democratic candidate, who I'm not uh, sure who that that is. No, it's a Republican. Okay. His name is yeah. His name is Joe Pinion, but I call him No Pinion. But go ahead. Joe Joe Pinion. No Pinion. Yeah. So you're in there uh, as the number three or in the middle, and uh, so I'm going to ask you, Diane, if you're elected to the U.S. Senate, what are you going to do differently uh, than the current senator for New York? Number one, no more bailouts of Wall Street. We have to put the entire financial system through bankruptcy reorganization, because the driver ultimately of the war is the economic collapse. So we have to change and the pandemic should have been the pretext or the reason to look at ourselves and say, you know what, a consumer economy doesn't work. You have to have producers, you have to have good uh, infrastructure of bridges and highways and meat processing plants change the entire dynamic of the U.S. economy to be able to sustain the lives of the American people. And you do that by nationalizing the Federal Reserve, reinstating the Glass-Steagall Act uh, so that we don't have people's savings accounts on the line for the speculators to play with however they want. They don't get a money-back guarantee if they lose. And then you invest in the infrastructure we need, and we work with China, Russia, India, the biggest nations, because that's the only way ultimately you can defeat these uh, trillionaires who gather in Davos and London and other places who think that they should run the world. So uh, that um, that is the first thing that has to be addressed. And in that context, there's no military or war problem you can't solve. And in terms of energy policy, this is a big, a big topic right now. Uh, the congressman from New York, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, she's a big proponent. She's she's the vanguard, really, for the Green New Deal. So where where do you where do you stand on this this issue, the Green New Deal, the Build Back Better? Uh, what, what <laughs> well, you- one of my friends recommends that every congressman who supports the Green New Deal should be tied to the blade of one of the wind turbines and uh, spend their time flying around up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that, that that's that's pretty much uh, yeah. I, I don't know what else you can add to that, but um, what what is, what are the fundamental flaws in your opinion? of this type of approach to well, energy policy. LaRouche had a term called energy flux density. How much energy comes per capita and per square mile? So obviously burning wood or in Haiti where they're depending on charcoal for most of their energy, you have to cover a huge amount of land 
to get very little energy. You can't sustain a large population. You're going to have a low standard of living, a high death rate. Solar panels and windmills are the same thing. How many football fields of solar panels do you need to, you know, fry an egg or whatever? And and it's unreliable. We don't have the battery development uh, quite to what we'd like. It may be improved, but forget it. Buffalo, New York is going to live on solar panels with the amount of snow and cloudy weather and it's just insane. So you need to go to forms of energy that are highly dense, provide large amounts of heat, which give you more power to transform nature. And that's why really I think we need nuclear fission. I think we need at least 500 new large, you know, the traditional power plants. Unfortunately, it seems we can't build them anymore. We don't have the ability, so we're going to have to build small modular reactors, and then we have to get to fusion, ultimately. And now the problem with the small modular reactors is, of course, you need highly refined fuel, which we get from Russia. So the sanctioned modular reactors is, of course, you need highly refined fuel, which we get from Russia. So the sanctions, again, uh, will do a great job in, in keeping us freezing and starving in the dark. No, that's a good point. And uh, I, I saw this, I was recently driving through the high desert uh, Death Valley uh, from California to Arizona and massive solar farms are putting out their wind farms. And it's really with all of the volume of wind and solar out there in that part of California, it's really only enough to power, you know, the Coachella Valley and these kind of, you know, semi-rural and so small desert cities, uh, tourist spots and things like this, not anything that can supply the base load to any major city. It's just not economically and physically feasible. But it, that seems to be, the, it, it, what is this? Is this like a dream? Is it what's driving this this green agenda? Is it more of a, the, a vision of an ideal um, have they thought it out? Is anybody coming forward with the actual meat and bones of this? Well, they really want uh, about 7 billion people dead. I mean, if you know, we can say, oh, it's just rhetoric to say the world is overpopulated. These people believe it. And if you reduce energy flux density, you are lowering the carrying capacity and you're going to unleash mass death starvation, disease, uh, a general stress. What we're seeing in the U.S. is a massive increase in deaths related to stress, economic stress, anxiety about survival. Um, and I think that they intend that. Now, some people on the lower level are just stupid and they want to make money and they're very corrupt, so they're happy. But at the top of the thing, if you think of the late consort to the queen, um, uh, you know, what did he say? He said he wanted to come back as a deadly virus to st do something about overpopulation. Or Al Gore, who said the world should really only have a billion people. I mean, you realize that means killing off seven out of eight people, which is also, of course, the point of censorship. Because if you're in a tiny, tiny elite minority and you want to get rid of seven out of eight people, you better make sure that they never talk to each other. <laughs> That's the reason I got banned for life from Twitter, because uh, I shared an article that had depopulation in the headline, um, and that got me banned for life from Twitter. So you're not wrong on the censorship uh, uh, charge there, Diane, at all. 
but yeah. uh, but so D- Diane, you got uh, you know just just over a week uh, toward the election. You know, we we hope that uh, all your work is going to pay off, and you're going to have a good showing there. I know that uh, the the deck is stacked against you as an independent candidate, but your your final message, uh, your final thoughts uh, going into November eighth. Sure. Well, I was asked by a um, student newspaper why people should vote for me. And I said, if you'd like to live a long, prosperous life, see the continent of Africa fully developed with two and a half billion people, be able to get on a high speed train in New York and travel to Paris through the Bering Strait Tunnel in a number of hours, uh, develop space collaboration so we can eliminate the threat of being wiped out by an asteroid or comet, then you should vote for me. Uh, if you want to live a short, miserable life and die in a nuclear war or of a drug overdose, then the other two candidates, Schumer and Pinion, would be excellent choices. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's a lot to. There's a lot. There's a lot to. <laughs> it's a tough choice, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot to consider there. I mean, well, I think you're right. I, the, the current cabal is really running uh, the country, running the economy, uh, running the world into an absolute ditch, and they've they've been successful at doing that, especially in the last couple of years. So, if anybody expects there's going to be anything different on the menu uh, for re-election for this same cabal uh, for the next four years or wh- however long, uh, I think they're going to be sorely mistaken on that front. But uh, if you are in New York, uh, get out and vote. Consider consider looking at Diane Sayre, independent candidate for New York for U.S. Senate. Uh, we certainly like what she's saying uh, here on TNT, today's news talk. But thank you very much, Diane, for joining us. We really appreciate your time and good luck in the, in the home stretch. Great. Thank you so much. There she goes, ladies and gentlemen, as Diane Sayre, independent candidate for United States Senate in the great state of New York. Uh, we'll take a break here. Top of the hour news headlines and we'll be back. We'll talk more about the midterms uh, in, in the final segment in the next hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. 